The word retcon gets thrown around a lot these days, sometimes wildly, sometimes recklessly, in comic book circles to describe an act of rewriting a character's history, changing seemingly fundamental details long thought to be that character's truth. Spelled out, it's retrocontinuity, or a sort of revisionist history that upends a status quo. For me, it effectively boils down to one question. Does this irrevocably change the way we read the character's previous appearances in comics? In the world of writer Jonathan Hickman's X-Men, a good example is the revelations of House of X number 2, in which the longtime human ally of the X-Men, Myra McTaggart, is revealed to not only be a mutant, but a mutant with the power to reincarnate across lifelines, with all memories of her previous lives intact. While retcon has negative connotations, comic fans don't have a sterling history with adapting to change, the Moira retcon is the centerpiece of the Krakoa era of X-Men. Call it a retcon, call it evolution, call it evolution, call it I don't care, this story rocks, either way, it's the engine that drives this ship. And you can't read Moira's appearances in Uncanny X-Men now without that in mind. Another possible character retcon in the works, one that fans have been questioning and debating since House of X Powers of Ten, is Mr. Sinister. Until recently, I hesitated really engaging with this question, but recent issues in the Dawn of X have increasingly added layers to the question whether or not Hickman's working through a sizable Mr. Sinister retcon as well. I'll start from the earliest suspicions about the longtime X-Villain and work forward through the Dawn of X to the most recent clues to determine what's really happening with Mr. Sinister here and whether or not we would call it a significant, impactful retcon. Hey, I'm Dave Busing. You're listening to Kraken Krakoa number 72? Maybe 73. Probably 73. I'm Editor-in-Chief of Comic Book Herald. If you like the Comic Book Herald YouTube channel or podcast, please consider liking, subscribing, and sharing spoilers. For discussed comics throughout the Dawn of X and uh, some Mr. Sinister history will follow. Glamrock Mr. Sinister. In the first major appearance of Mr. Sinister in Powers of Ten, number four, our boy Nathaniel Essex takes the stage like a wrecking ball. He's fabulous, motor-mouthed, and practically something out of an R-rated Looney Tunes special. On this alone, plenty of readers were asserting that this wasn't their Mr. Sinister, the cold, calculating genetics villain obsessed with Summer's DNA, but certainly not with epic capes, right? There's a history of 90s, you know, when he's most popular, established as this villain in X-Men history who's obsessed with genetics, but he is not fun and kind of loony the way that he is presented here in Powers of Ten. This, though, is far from a retcon. Instead, it's really just the natural progression of how modern creators prefer to write the character, most notably coalesced in the Kieran Gillen-written Uncanny X-Men, started around 2011. In Everything is Sinister, Gillen struck a goldmine for this character, endlessly cloned, running his own sinister society, and yes, finally funny. Crucially, Gillen's Sinister is gloriously ludicrous. He uses clones, sinister cows as bombs against Emma Frost, for example. And still, he's ultimately threatening. He guns for the power of Celestials in the opening arc and the Phoenix over the course of the run. He's still an extreme threat. This is the template everyone sense has followed to some degree or another, whether in short appearances like Spider-Man and the X-Men or Hickman's own trial run in the 2015 Secret Wars event. If you're less into this version of the character than the tired Summers and Grey obsessed geneticists of the 90s, sure, I get it, but that doesn't make it a retcon. On the surface, it just means times have changed and writers have adapted to their interpretations of how they want to portray this character. 
Looking at Sinister's past, the revelation that Professor X and Magneto are working with a mutant Mr. Sinister is where we start getting into more interesting waters. Despite his presence as an X-Men villain since the late 80s, cemented with his role in 1989's Inferno, Mr. Sinister was not actually known as a mutant until this moment. On the surface, it's hard to argue against this measuring up to retcon status. Not only is this version of Mr. Sinister actually a mutant, but he's been working, at least theoretically, at the behest of Charles Xavier and Magneto for years before the launch of Krakoa, right? That is what Professor X's and Magneto's visit to Bar Sinister is about, is about getting Sinister on their team and working for them, ostensibly. The initial meeting from that issue number four occurs during the nebulous time frame of X-Zero, aka the X-Men Year One, during a period where Magneto and Professor X were allied. It's also apparently the first meeting between Sinister and these two, as Sinister wonders how they know about his work in genetics. In comics publica publication terms, this would most likely put the meeting between 81's Uncanny X-Men number 150, when Magneto first begins to really develop some potential allyship with the X-Men, and I'd argue 1986's Mutant Massacre. While he doesn't appear, Sinister is first named in this event, which we you know, ultimately learn he orchestrated. Crucially, during this meeting, the first Sinister in charge is not actually that interested in prioritizing the study of mutant DNA. He denies mutantdom as a cause of his. For his grandstanding, the Sinister clone is promptly shot in the head by the Sinister with the mutant gene, or again, at least one of them. Xavier then mentally convinces him to prioritize mutant DNA collection, giving us the summer's gray-obsessed Sinister we know throughout X-Men history. Telling him he'll forget this is because of Professor X and Magneto until the day the Professor wants him. To remember. Now, this whole visit is a fairly neat trick because it allows a secret history of Sinister while ostensibly maintaining the character as we've known him throughout X-Men comics history. At the same time, Sinister's secret number 10 tells us, again, with whatever certainty we can put in Sinister's gossip mag, that we're following a new Sinister in the Dawn of X, one that's well aware of Professor X and Magneto's previous attempts at brainwashing. As the secret reads, which brainwashed mutant sinister was replaced long before a certain bald somebody knew and has been in on the game for almost as long as the game has been played? Shh. So we don't know when the sinister in on the game took over, but it's entirely possible he's been working out his own schemes as long as Sinister's been in X-Men comics. This likelihood makes moments like Sinister's experiments in the Kieran Gillen-written Uncanny X-Men stand out so much more, when his experiments on mutant clones of Gambit, the, Scott, you know, the Summers family, and Sabretooths include a pit of phalanx. Obviously, given the phalanx presence in Powers of Ten, this is a really, really fun, you know, maybe kind of throwaway detail back when it was utilized in the 2011-2012 days, but now you look at it and think, oh, Sinister's experimenting with the phalanx. What does that have to do with his aims towards, you know, usurping power on Krakoa or, or taking over, you know, the way that the phalanx are being presented or possibly used in, in what is increasingly looking like a techno-organic infected Krakoa? and that might be a crack in Krakoa I have to dig into in the future, um, but little details like that become extremely fun. Intriguingly, there's one extremely fun theory as well about Sinister Secrets, one I didn't fit into my 20 theories video for each uh, secret crack in Krakoa, that it takes the retcon to the next level, okay? So the very first Sinister Secret states, he's trying to pretend that no one noticed he was wearing red shoes, but this truly Sinister Secret isn't fooling anyone. I had a bunch of theories on what this might mean, but it wasn't until I heard a tidbit listening to Jay and Miles explain the X-Men, the podcast, that, that really blew my mind. So in that episode, 
Miles, I think it is, is is talking about these sinister secrets, and he states that there's a right after Giant Size X Men number one in the two part Uncanny X Men number ninety four and ninety five. So these are the first written issues by writer Chris Claremont. Chris Claremont, the all new all different X Men, Loose Thunderbird, uh, who sacrifices himself on like their very first mission against Count Nefaria. Due to a coloring error, shortly before Thunderbird's death, there's a brief panel where Thunderbird, John Proudstar, is suddenly wearing red shoes. In every other appearance, they are blue. Okay, so this alone, this alone uh, could easily fall into the ephemera of Inside Baseball comic facts, you know, but for Sinister Secret number five, which states, certain people are wondering where the tyrant dispelling Sinister got his mutant gene. And while that really isn't an interesting story, whom the DNA originally belonged to is John Proudstar, Thunderbird. Okay. So now connecting secret number one, Red Shoes, which we see in John Proudstar in that weird coloring error, and then the DNA belonging to John Proudstar, connecting the dots, what if the Red Shoed Proudstar was a sinister clone, or sinister himself masquerading as John Proudstar? This would insert Sinister into the formation of the all-new, all-different X-Men with access to the X-Mansion and all the potential secrets that might entail. Here's a version of how this could play out. Sinister captures John Proudstar, steals his DNA, then uses that to sneak his way into Xavier's new X-Team. He fakes his own death, or sends a clone with a kamikaze trigger, once he's acquired the information he needs to secretly plot against Professor X, Moira, Magneto, and company, right? So this could be Sinister very, very early on, sneaking into essentially the mutant headquarters, you know, this, this house of where Professor X and Moira are plotting and planning and taking away information that they don't know he has. Again, Sinister has an agenda. Moira is literally scared. She is scared to work with him. She's upset when Professor X and Magneto go and bring him in. It's not impossible he could be doing this stuff. There are approximately a gajillion other possible integrations, but either way, Sinister's involvement in this era of X-Men puts his hands all over the formation of the most well-known X-Team of all time, much like his hands are all over the entire history of the Summers Brothers. You know, like when you look at Cyclops, for example, it has become, you know, almost impossible to look back at Cyclops' childhood growing up in an orphanage that was run by Mr. Sinister, looking at all the ways he's, like, messed with him over time. Like, what parts of his life aren't? you know, messed with by Mr. Sinister. It's it's difficult to say. Couple this with the X-Men legacy, uh, the run written by Mike Carey, revelation that Mr. Sinister implanted a backup of himself into a young Charles Xavier to ensure his immortality. And I'm looking around Krakoa wondering who isn't being directed by Nathaniel Essex on this island. He's got his fingers in everything. Little Baby Essex. So the most recent entry in the case for Sinister's retcon came in the pages of Giant Size X-Men Phantom X, the one-shot. In a detail so seemingly besides the point, I didn't even realize, you know, it really see it, uh, that it was in play until a number of eagle-eyed cracking Krakoa listeners called it out in the comments. So the Phantom X one-shot opens with a sequence of two scientists discussing their baby clone factory. And one observes that among the randomly generated clones, there are two exact replicas, which is apparently unlikely to the point of near impossibility. The head tells him, the head scientist tells him to keep one and throw away the other. And one baby is given a circle on their forehead and the other a diamond. Okay, I don't know how I overlooked this, but if you're going to use a diamond on anyone's forehead, <laughs> that's definitely a call or a potential call to Mr. Sinister. Now, as this issue in particular plays out, every implication is that these two babies grow up to become Phantom X and Ultimaton, aka Weapon 15. But when you're telling a story in the world of X-Men and you choose to place a diamond on someone's forehead, that raises sinister questions. Again, a handful of Kraken Krakoa commenters have wondered if that could be Baby Sinister. In, in the works, right? Could that be a baby clone of Mr. Sinister? 
Personally, I find this quite unlikely, uh, for a few reasons. First, the remainder of the issue has absolutely nothing to do with Sinister, nor does he appear to have a likely role in the upcoming and final Giant Size X-Men Storm. Second, we know Nathaniel Essex, like the real one, was born in England in the 1800s, and while we aren't given a date, there's not much reason to believe this lab is set in that time period. Although to be fair, until this issue we had no idea Phantom X had a history dating back as far as World War II as well. So it's not an impossibility. That doesn't mean I don't think Sinister could be involved, though. In fact, I think it's actually very likely that one of the doctors we see here, or at least running these cloning experiments, is in fact the disguise of Mr. Sinister's. Not only does Mr. Sinister have a history with the Weapon X program, see the early 2000s Weapon X series if you must for examples, but he's basically a walking, was secretly involved in every part of your past machine. That is kind of his role in X-Men. Just ask Cyclops, or again, uh, from X-Men Legacy, Professor X. Adding a secret degree of control to the rise of Phantom X and Ultimaton is a billion percent up Sinister's alley. You know, although certainly to what end is entirely up for unfounded theorizing. This doesn't really retcon anything I know about Sinister, but it adds yet another corner of the X-Men universe under his thumb. I think, you know, one thing that is, that is coming together through all of this, if anything, is we already know through the character's history and through X-Men comics over time, that he controls a ton of what's going on with Scott Summers with Cyclops. We've seen in X-Men Legacy, he actually controls a lot of Professor X. And now, through these possible theories, we're seeing maybe he just straight up controls, like, the formation of the X-Men, and even things we wouldn't even have thought of, like the creation and cloning of Phantom X. So, is Mr. Sinister retconned or not? Strictly based on what we actually know to date, making this version of Sinister a mutant is very close to a retcon. Like, that's a pretty big deal. The problem is that since we don't know when the Sinister aware of the Professor and Magneto's grander plans really took over, it's close to impossible to nail down any history of the character at odds with what Hickman has presented since, right? So as it stands, I'd say this is not yet a retcon. Every sinister appearance in X-Men can be read as if the character is either brainwashed or playing along to avoid suspicion until the Krakoa era. The dude just loves collecting mutant DNA, and there's no really no reason to question why. Whether it's brainwashing or just because that is his kink, you know, we don't necessarily know. The potential change for me comes depending on what Mr. Sinister knows and when. Again, Sinister is a virtual retcon engine by design, making him extremely difficult to truly change in ways that don't reflect his creation. The character travels in secret origins, so what's one more? If the Red Shoes theory turns out to be true, though, I kind of think all bets are off, and the history of Mr. Sinister has the potential to be deeply changed. Not only might he have infiltrated the X-Men at their new genesis, but who's to say he didn't hack into a secret conversation between Moira and Charles during this time at Xavier's? If this Sinister is the one true Sinister, aware of the brainwashing, then he's integrated into the whole fabric of X-Men in ways we couldn't really have guessed. And yes, I'd say that validates Moira's fear of the schemer and puts him firmly into an epic retcon I'm more than happy to pl see play out. I think it's actually extremely interesting. So I'd love to hear your arguments for or against, you know, whether it's the semantics of if this is a retcon or just the way Sinister is being handled in this story. I definitely want to hear your thoughts on the theories I presented here and some theories of your own. You know, I think in some ways it's kind of a moot point. Retcon or no can come down, again, very much to semantics. And at the end of the day, all I really care about is that the story Hickman's able to tell using this version of the character is a good one, and I have confidence that it will be. That said, you know, I'm very interested how thoroughly the story will involve the 
the character's past, and that inherently weaves in conversations around retcons and their value, especially, especially if that red shoes theory turns out to be true, and we're talking about sinister integration as early as the start of the Claremont era of X-Men. So thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Dave. You're listening to Kraken Krakoa. You can find support for Comic Book Herald and Kraken Krakoa at patreon.com slash comic book herald. I do want to thank our mysterious benefactors by name. These are individuals supporting the site at $10 a month, which is greatly, greatly appreciated. And our mysterious benefactors of CBH Endeavors are Jeff Zacharias, Ron Paul Kirkley, Jesse W., Robert Mickelson, Professor Pride, Steve Brennan, Cole Weathers, and Martin Lopez. I'm Dave. You can find my stuff at comicbookherald.com, at comicbookherald online, and look for the best comics ever in my Marvelous Year podcast for more from me. So thanks everybody for listening. Again, leave your comments and theories uh, in the well in the comments here, and enjoy the comics.